This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode does not contain spoilers, but does contain mentions of Harry Potter and Twilight. And welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are welcoming a very special guest and our new friend. This is author Stacey McEwen, and her new book, Ledge, is out soon. Welcome, Stacey. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, everyone. I'm Stacey McEwen. I'm the author of The Ledge, and I'm here with the Akafe podcast, and I'm so excited to meet Laura and Jessica. We are so stoked to have you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I am very excited to talk to you. I have done some research. I've done the deep dive on social media. And then, of course, Jess and I were very honored and privileged to have a advanced copy of your book. So we, we know what's going on here, at least a Yay. little bit. So we are very excited. So I would just like to start. How much do you hate the cold? So much. So much. So much. It is wintertime right now in Australia. But here's the thing. I live in Queensland, Australia. So I live up north, um, closer to the equator. It does not snow here. There is no ice. That whole universe that I created is pretty much my worst nightmare, which is what I wanted to throw the main character into, right? So it's really strange to me when people are like, oh, I can't wait to read Ledge so I can, you know, get all the cold, wintry vibes. I'm like, what? I try to escape (laughs) those at all costs. I don't understand. Um, So, yeah, I I hate the cold. I hate it. I will do anything to escape it. I I always describe myself as a lizard. Like I just want to lie (laughs) on a nice rock in the sun. That's me. Have you ever experienced the cold? Because there's people who... You know, like a lot of people in Florida, they've never seen snow. They've never seen like cold is 60 degrees. Yeah. So I've I've seen I've been to the snow twice and that's it. And both times just stood there going, why did I pay for this very expensive? (laughs) I just fell over a lot. I complained about the fact that it was slippery. Um, I tried and failed to snowboard and didn't understand the sport at all or like why people enjoy it. Um, and was laughed at by all of my friends because of how much I griped and complained and moaned about it. And rightly so, because I was an absolute nuisance the entire time. <laughs> so if other people are going on like a snow vacation, are you the person who's like, I'm going to be waiting for you in the lodge, having drinks, making my own. I'm reading like, a book no- in yeah. front of the fire. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Like just slowly getting myself drunker and drunker <laughs> just by the moment. Yeah, Absolutely. Excellent. Okay. So what I have grasped here is you have taken your worst nightmare of cold and put it out there for the world. Um, Can you please walk me through where this story came from? Because I have to tell you, I was, I was hooked. I was hooked right away. Oh, good. That makes me happy. Um, 
it's so weird. I always thought of um, world building and I thought about all uh, the books that I really love, fantasy books that I really love and how, like, wonderful the worlds are and how, like, well they've been built. I thought about, like, how do, how do authors do that? How do they, like, take something that's so huge and so complex and where do they even start? And um, I started writing my own fantasy books a couple of years ago. Prior to that, I didn't write fantasy. I wrote in other genres. Um, but what I've learned is that, like, you can take something tiny, you can take a crumb and just build on it just piece by piece until it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more complex. And um, Ledge isn't super complex in terms of its world building, but it started with um, I just had this um, image, if you will. It sounds so whimsical and cringy, but it's true. I just <laughs> sort of had this this image of just this woman um, in the middle of this sort of snowy biome, just like this snowy landscape uh, where it was freezing and cold and um, and she was sort of trapped there and had to survive and had to learn how to, like, you know, make a life in that. And um, so it just started with that and I wasn't sure if it was going to be a fantasy novel or not, but it end- ended up being one anyway because I had to sort of lean on um, suspended belief to get uh, readers to believe that someone could actually be trapped there. Um, the other place that it came from was that I love survivalist stories. So I, I love any story about someone who's, you know, the man in the middle of the desert who's wandering and just hoping he finds his oasis or, you know, the boat that's just bobbing on the sea and they hope that one day they'll find shore. And, like, and the crazy things that those characters do to stay alive. I love those types of stories. Um, and I'd always really wanted to write a story about that. So I just, I wondered if I could flip it somehow. So instead of taking a character and putting them on in the middle of the sea or in the middle of the desert or in the middle of like a snowy, icy mountain where the object, like where their goal is escape. I wondered if instead of their goal being escape, what if I made it so they couldn't possibly escape? What if I made it so that they were trapped there? Like, what would the goal be then? If the goal is not escape, then the goal would most likely be how do I make a life worth living? How do I, like, create some kind of contentedness for myself? Um, or is life just purely about survival? And, um, like, what kind of character do you have to have to survive a place like that? Uh, so I sort of created elements to trap Dawson in this place that I had envisioned in my mind. So that's where things like the chasm came in she, like, so that they can't cross it. And, um, and the fact that the mountain is like just so steep and sheer so that she can't climb it. And I had to sort of just create this environment where she was just trapped um, in this place. And eventually I added the plot lines that like as she comes off the ledge and she has to figure out life. But prior to that, she spent 24 years, she's born and raised in this place and what does that do to a person that's stuck in such a hostile place where every day is just about trying to survive the next day and then the next day and then the next day? Um, what kind of character, that, like, what does that do to a person in their mind and, and their experiences and the way they interact with other people? And um, what would happen if you put an entire village on that ledge and they all had to interact together? Like how would they interact together um, so yeah, I just sort of slowly built it from this idea and just kept thinking like realistically what would happen to a human being if they were placed in such a condition and, and what would happen. And I, so I, I came to the point that any person who was still alive and living on the ledge and had survived any number of days would have to be 
really, really tough and really gritty and um, perhaps just unscrupulous and merciless and and all of those things. And so that's sort of how I constructed Dawson and then uh, the other villages and things that live on the ledge. Um, and I just for funsies, I thought, why not give her an axe and make everyone violent? Like, <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> we'll just see what happens. <laughs> that is an amazing answer. Thank you for that. Wow. So you just walked us through that fantastic explanation. How did you translate that to um, the page? What kind of writer are you? Are you like a a planner? Are you like a, what is that, like a plotter? A plotter or a pantser, I think they call it. Mm -hmm. Is that what they call it, where you fly by the seat of your pants? I'm not the type that flies by the seat of (laughs) their pants. Um, No, I'm I'm a plotter by nature, so... I, yeah, I have to uh, think about things for like quite a long time before I'll even try to put it down on paper. Um, The only thing that I might do is I might just have a little dabble and write the first chapter and just kind of see what comes out. But most of that is just so that I can kind of see things like what perspective would I write from? Would it be third person? Would it be first person? Would it be from this character or this character? Um, Would it be past or present tense? Like how does it sound when I start to write it? Um, and what am I most comfortable with for this particular story? But other than that, I need I need a full outline happening before I can venture into it. It makes me terribly anxious to think about just diving in and and typing and seeing how you go. But um, most of my author friends that I've got to know over the last couple of years, they're the complete opposite. Like you know, plotting to them seems a bit like very anxiety ridden and that's not something they want any part of. They'd rather just you know kind of go with the flow and see what happens. Um, but you know, I just, I think I'm, I'm a highly strung person by nature. I'm a teacher and a mum, and I like to have things organized and, you know, and I like to know what's happening next, but it does change as it goes along. I had a full, you know, 50 chapter outline. Um, and I had, you know, notes on what would the scenes that would occur in each chapter. And I wanted to make sure it flowed and that it was paced well and, and all of that sort of thing, but it did evolve as it went on, there were lots of times where I just was writing a chapter and went, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. And I'd have to sort of go back to the outline and make changes. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely a plotter, but I'm not afraid of it changing at all. I don't like to restrict it in that way. I just see what happens as I go along. It just makes me feel better to know what's happening next. That was going to be my question because I was thinking like, okay, but like, have you ever had experiences writing where you're like, wait, now the character or the story is kind of starting to take over outside of what I've plotted, but you answered it because if you feel that way with the plot, do you feel that way with the characters sometimes too? Whether like maybe some of their interactions or like the banter between Ryan and Dawson, for example, you're like, oh, this just seems the natural response as they go back and forth and you get to know your characters. Absolutely. And that, like, that's like the best part about writing. Like I have, to, I outline for um, myself so that I know that the story is when like at the end of it, it's not going to be some kind of weird Frankenstein monster that's just being patched together um, depending how I was feeling that day uh, when I was writing. But um, yeah, the characters definitely take over at times and they're, many times where I didn't plan for them to have any banter in that scene whatsoever. Um, and there's other characters that were a complete surprise, like Salem's a big surprise to me. Um, and there are a couple of other little side characters that now I know in book two are, are big characters, but in book one they're not. Um, and it's just simply because they kind of 
took over. They had their own personas and their personalities were large. And so I just kind of went into that. So yeah, like little changes like that, I kind of welcome because they're like happy little surprises to me. And it's really entertaining to like see how that develops. And, um, but you know, like Ryan and Dawson gave me hell throughout all of the ledge because they just wanted to hook up. And I was like, not yet, guys, not yet. Like, like, <laughs> I was going to say, they gave each other hell too. <laughs> Oh, so, okay, we're we're talking about characters and uh, we're talking about Ryan, we're talking about Dawson and you're mentioning little characters. And I'm looking at my list. I'm like, oh gosh, is it Baltese? Um, I'm very interested. But uh, so these characters, did they come to you kind of fully formed personalities, uh, you know, traits? Were they all just waiting for you? Yeah. Dawson um, definitely was like I definitely had a clear image in my mind of like what kind of woman she was going to be and I just I knew she was going to be like just kind of really um like I said just unscrupulous and kind of violent and um kind of shocking in the way that she's just so flippant with how um violent she is and I knew she was going to be very flawed and like very imperfect and almost like this person that's been raised by wolves, you know, like, and um, in many ways it kind of seen, comes across as that she has, you know, she's been taught that to survive you do these things and and that's just the way of life. And then she sort of comes off the legend and that that's not the way of everyone. <laughs> it was perhaps just the way of uh, her people. So she was fully formed. Ryan was fully formed to me. I kind of pictured him being um, like big and scary looking, but an actual cinnamon roll. Like if I'm being really honest, like he's not scary at all. Um, the best kinds. <laughs> yeah, and um, and he's like that's my favorite kind of hero as well. But um, a few of the others, like Ezra, he didn't come to me fully formed as well. He just kind of jumped off the page as soon as he came into it. He just had this humongous personality, and I didn't really plan for him. I think at that point in the story, I was starting to feel like. Uh, this is the part of the story where things start to drop off a bit. Like we've lost like, you know, all the momentum and things like that. Um, there's always a point in the story where things plateau a little bit before they pick up again. And I thought, well, I don't really want this to plateau too far. I want it to still be captivating and engaging. And so I think that's where um, characters like Ezra and Salem and Baltese came in. And I love the way that all three of those um, characters interact and that was really fun to write. So, yeah, Ezra was a huge surprise. Salem was a huge surprise because they were he was literally just going to be, and in my initial notes it's, it just says that he's the innkeeper and they have a <laughs> passing conversation with him and that he doesn't know who Ryan is or Dawson and, and it's just someone that they have to um, kind of fool along the way into thinking that they're normal people who have um, turned up at this inn. Um, and that's not how it, it went in the end. Anyway, he ended up being like a very important side character. So, yeah, they're like, yeah, it's it's kind of a mix. I sort of had Ryan and Dawson that were fully formed and the other side characters almost not at all. I was looking through your social media and I know that th there's there's a little spice in this. And I know that you uh, mentioned that you had family members read it and that was just like, oh, gosh. Yeah. What was a challenging aspect uh, of writing for this? Was there just kind of like a, a mindset that you just couldn't get into or um, did it all just kind of really flow? Uh, most of the time it kind of really flowed. Like I was very, very motivated to write it. Um, I've, this is probably the, the book that I've been most motivated um, to write. And I think it's because of 
um, book talk and, and bookstagram and, and all of those things. I wasn't previously a part of those communities and suddenly I was and I had people that were interested. And I thought if there's like, if there's any time where this uh, career choice is going to work for me, it's now. Um, prior to that, it's always been just a pipe dream, you know. Um, so I was very motivated. Because of that, there wasn't time, there wasn't really times where I really struggled um, to sit down and write. I just wanted to, most days I wanted to get to it. I got annoyed if there was a day where I couldn't get to it. Um, but the spicy scenes, like you say, I haven't read, I haven't written books before that have had spicy scenes in them necessarily. And I've wanted to and sort of held back because I thought, oh, I don't really know how to write those scenes. Not true because I've read a million of them, <laughs> right? Like yeah. in every possible romantic genre anyone can imagine. And like the fanfics that we don't mention on this podcast, <laughs> read them all. Um, and that's all you really need to be able to write your own. There's no classes for writing spicy things. I know because I've looked. There's no there's no classes for writing. <laughs> Well, I was, I shared with Laura before, I was like, you know, you know, people might be like getting a little spicy with their own text messages. I don't, I'm not original. I don't have an original bone in my body. I go to a fanfic, I copy paste, have a day. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, I wrote it and I actually really enjoyed it. And I think it was like, I, uh, reading it back to myself was difficult. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but if you've ever sent like a sex to someone and then read it back a few days later. It's a bad idea. You don't do that. You send it and then you delete it immediately so that you don't ever know what you wrote again. So writing a sex scene, (laughs) writing a sex scene for me, like a a smutty scene was um, much like that. I wrote it and was like, that was fun. And went about my day and a couple of days later, went back and went, oh, oh. And that like editing, that was like a whole, a whole other process. But um, yeah, nothing compares to, knowing my father has the book and is reading it currently and sending me text updates as he's making his way through it. And I just know he's getting closer and closer to that scene and me going, oh, God, I'm just going to ask him to skip it and literally asking him to skip it and him going, why? Like, why should I skip? I can't skip chapters. And I'm like, I don't want to come out and say it, so I'm just going to let this happen. And then I'm just going to accept the fact that we don't have a relationship anymore because, like, Parents, I feel like it's also different because sometimes you're like, your parents will know when you have kids, but it's like this whole, like, we're not going to talk about, this is like a Virgin Mary situation. Like that Absolutely. is- Absolutely. <laughs> we're all just going to be like, we're just going to- You have grandkids. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, he he stopped texting me um, That's and then got to the end of the book. Oh. And I was like, I just, for days, I was like, he's <laughs> just waiting for it. <laughs> And he sent me this lovely text message saying that he, you know, he genuinely enjoyed it. And it's not his genre of choice, either fantasy um, and especially not romanticy, but like, you know, it's not his genre of choice. So I was really uh, worried about what his thoughts were going to be. And I don't generally worry about what people are going to think of it, um, but I did worry about his opinion and um, because it meant a lot to me. And he sent me this lovely message saying that he genuinely enjoyed it and and he's not, you know, gassing me up and, that he's really proud of me and and all of that sort of good stuff. And it was lovely. And then in the bottom in brackets, it was just like, we will never talk about that chapter though again. And I was like, okay. Oh, so he acknowledged it without acknowledging it. Yeah. Like just in brackets, like we will never speak about that. And I'm like, excellent. Thanks dad. Perfect. (laughs) Works for me. Uh, So you 
have brought up uh, your you have read fantasy books in the past and you have your favorites and we're talking about genres and this is ledge very adult yes this is an adult fantasy romance yes yes we have some tropes in here but i i just kind of want to backtrack a little bit just for my own curiosity what are some of your favorite fantasy books Oh, I love... Have you guys read The Wrath and the Dawn? I love The Wrath and the Dawn. No, it's on my um, list. Duality. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love those books. I read them a long time ago and it kind of like reignited fantasy for me, you know, after the Harry Potter Twilight fallout. Mm-hmm. I feel like most of the people our age, you know, we like had like a little break from fantasy <laughs> after those things and then, um, and then something would reignite it. Um, so yeah, I fell into that duology and I loved it. I love the Bridge Kingdom books. Um, I think that they're fantastic. Um, I was a huge dystopian fan, as like many of us were. I was a huge dystopian fan, but there's a really cool um, sci-fi dystopian. Um, the first book got made into a movie, which was terrible, but the books are fantastic. And it's like the, it, they're called the Chaos Walking um trilogy and the first book's called the knife of never letting go and it's a really really cool dystopian sci-fi book um and that has been very close to my heart for a very long time these are great i'm so excited to add them to the yeah i'm just writing vr never letting go (laughs) thanks yeah i think the trilogy is called chaos walking well that's this is wonderful thank you you're welcome (laughs) so have you always been in the fantasy i mean i know you said that you know you take a break what other genres do you um do you like reading do you like um do you kind of like find a balance between you know being in fantasy all the time or do you because you are writing a new adult fantasy because i know ledge isn't the first of um it's confirmed trilogy correct yes right so do you like want to take a break you're like i need a different escapism instead of fantasy again or do you draw inspiration from other things in terms of reading i definitely i kind of tend to shy away from reading fantasy while i'm writing it um and then i finish i'll finish writing it and binge fantasy because i miss it but um while i'm writing it i'll stay in like contemporary romance or historical romance like it tends to be one of those two things and they're like wonderful palette cleansers while you're writing just so that I don't like get myself confused between um two different worlds and and things like that you've become so immersed in your own world building that it's hard to step outside of that and then absorb someone else's um so yeah I I just like I love romance I love pretty much any romantic genre I'll read um but contemporary romance and in historical romance are sort of my favorite I'm a huge historical romance uh not um part of many group chats part of many reddit boards <laughs> it's embarrassing how much i like historical romance um so yeah i've always loved those two genres but I, i'll pretty much read anything um i don't know i kind of i'm always i'm one of those annoying people that if if a million people have picked up a book and said that it's good then i'm gonna want to read it no matter what it is like i have to know what it is that they're saying about it that's so good um yeah I can't I tend to find myself just going down weird little rabbit holes with reading like recently I picked up a, a book that like it was a bestseller and it sold a million copies and 
um, it was critically acclaimed and won all these awards. So I'm like, oh, I've got to read it. And um, it was about it was about World War Two, weirdly. <laughs> it was about, and and I was like, well, I'm going to read it anyway, and I did and loved it and thought it was great. And so then I just found myself down this weird rabbit hole where I was reading just strictly World War Two fiction. <laughs> <laughs> And even my, even my husband was like, what is happening to you? I'm like, I don't know, but it's not fantasy. So it's, it's, um, it's fun to read while I'm writing fantasy. I can just read that. So I, I don't know. I will tend to read anything so long as it's got good characters and, you know, a decent plot that I can follow. Fantasy is just my favorite. Um, and if it, yeah, if it has romance in it, then I am sold. I am an easy sell. I really am. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing to be embarrassed about either. There's no embarrassment here. Oh, the historical romance thing is a bit, is a bit no. much. I <laughs> mean, I feel like there's a trend with historical. I mean, Laura, you, you, you and your grandma, like you were all about historical romance. Yeah. I know I come <laughs> yeah. from like yeah. contemporary romance, but now you have, I feel like there's an increased popularity again with historical romance, especially with like the height of Bridgerton and, yeah, you know, then people are trying, happy. like, <laughs> I, I feel like, and maybe the pandemic helped shift everything, but the things that, you know, used to be like, oh, like, what are you like a, like a, you know, a, like a secret fan of, like, and, now I feel like there's no such thing as being a secret fan. Like you could just love no, what you well, love. Never, yeah, it's never been you know? secret for me ever. <laughs> Not like anyone that walks into my house and sees all like the bustle breaking covers and stuff on my shelves. They're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, well, look, it is what it is. I don't know what to do. Very tell worn spine going on. Yeah, like super cracked spines and stuff. Like, like, wow, you've read that one a lot. I'm like, yes, I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> look at the pirate on the cover. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were talking about, so we're talking about reading and how you kind of want to keep things separate when you're writing fantasy because you want to keep your world building kind of together in your head. Uh, world building is difficult. Obviously, all of this is difficult for me. I have no writing talent. But um, as an author who is world building in fantasy, and you have read a lot of fantasy, uh, are there like pet peeves that you have about fantasy world building that you just really wanted to make sure you nailed in your own? Hmm, I, a pet peeve of mine is um, we tend to, fantasy authors tend to like create quite a hostile, generally speaking, it's quite a hostile situation that the main character is in. And it's it, the stories like inevitably about their journey out, outside of that hostile situation and hopefully into a place of peace. Um, what I don't love is when females are kind of used in that context and they're still kind of these perfect, pure people. Like, and we've like held on to that like weird notion that if there's a female main character, they're sort of like a Bella Swan, you know, they never say a mean word. They never have a mean thought. They don't, you know, all every bone in their body is pure and lovely and kind and, and gentle and blah, 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 until it's not. Um, and I I always kind of shy away from that anyway because I just think that every single character that you put in, no matter who they are and how they identify, they're flawed human beings and we're supposed to be able to create characters that seem real. And um, so I that's a pet peeve of mine. If I ever open up a book and that's sort of how the female main character has presented themselves despite being in like a terribly hostile situation. It doesn't make sense to me. Will you DNF a book? 
there are certain like people who are like, you know what, I'm not even going to keep going because if this is already frustrating me at the top of the book, I don't know if you could finish it. Um, I, I guess it depends. I, I, what does definitely make me DNF is when you have that kind of female character. And then on top of that, it's backed up with an entire backstory of horrible trauma that that character has gone through previously. Again, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's not how the world works and it's not how humans work. We can't go through years and years and years of terrible trauma and then be a perfect human beings on the other side. Um, I, I'd probably DNF a book at that because I can see how that story is just going to be about how this person who's perfect and pure and horribly traumatized is going to eventually be saved by a dude who's going to make her feel loved and safe. Um, it's not the worst thing in the world. I just, it's just so bloody common. Like it's just, I've read a thousand of them. Um, and I can just see how it's going to unfold. So that's become just like a personal pet peeve for me, I think, is um, finding yet another female main character that's like that. Um, Because it's giving, she's not like all the other girls. She's gone through all of this stuff, and yet she's still managed to be a perfect woman. And it's like, that's not what perfect women look like, or that's not what they do. Um, Yeah, so I like that ends up just becoming quite frustrating for me. So I definitely get away from that because Dawson Saber is not pure or prim or polite or any of those things. One of my favorite things about Dawson, just one of my absolute favorite things. And um, stop me if, if I'm, if this is wrong, because this is just something that I noticed uh, when we first meet her in the beginning, she has like a rich inner dialogue, but um, verbally, it's uh, short sentences, very clipped, right? Yeah. And then um, as she descends and she gets, you know, um, I believe it's Tersa, yes, her the yes. land. Um, she when she finally um, has a confrontation in in the place that she has it, and she's she's yelling and she's screaming and she's letting it out. And um, I, I remember she has like a thought of like, no, she's cracked. She's she's gonna really just let him have it. Uh, I really loved that uh, growth from her where we start off with she's very cold and it's bitter and her words are short and it it really did help kind of create the setting for me. Um, And then as things get warmer and she gets more comfortable and she gets more familiar with everything, uh, her, her words and her feelings and her emotions come out more. I thought that was just really beautiful. Oh, thank you. I love that you noticed that because, yeah, I, I thought that too, is that I'd make her sort of kind of socially awkward in a way, like she doesn't really know how to interact with warmth with anyone, you know. Um, she approaches everyone as though they're they're going to um, steal her stuff or uh, do her an injury or um, that they're approaching her with hostility whether they are or not. And so she approaches them with hostility um, whether she should or not. She's sort of like just always on the defense. Um, initially she's always, she's incredibly wary. Um, and then it, like you said, like most of her, um, train of thought, she doesn't verbalize. It's all, um, she keeps it in and then she just, everything is clipped and, and very short and cold when she speaks to people and she keeps her cards close to her chest. And then we kind of see that start to reverse towards the end as she's sort of like pushed past her, her breaking point And, um, and yeah, and I, I kind of liked that about her too, because who doesn't want to go off? I don't, I hate confrontation. I suck at it. 
Um, so it was really fun writing a character that had absolutely no qualms about confronting people who had done the wrong thing. So, yeah, that was that was fun to write. That's one of the best things about writing is that you get to create characters that are brave enough to do all these things that you're not brave enough to do, you know? Oh, that's wonderful. And I also... Uh, just going back to setting, kind of setting the scene in the, in these opening chapters um, that you did so well is that the relationship that Dawson has with Hector is a really unique one. And it, it isn't one that I've seen. I, I can't think of another place off the top of my head. It, it was just like in uh, Dawson speaks later on. I believe she's talking to Ryan. She's like, I did not love him romantically. That is not what this was. and it, And it speaks to the the loneliness that is on the ledge um, on top of the harsh environment. Uh, and I thought that was really beautiful too, because we, um, this is not a spoiler, obviously because it's, it's there, but uh, Dawson's family is like whittled away from her little by little. And then Hector too. So then they, you know, they're like this, but it is not, it is a need, a human need, not a romantic love. And I, I just really wanted to point that out because I thought that was lovely and it is not seen a lot. Yeah, okay, but again, that's like part of that world building that I was talking about in the beginning where I was just trying to think about like what a human would be and what they would do um, and what their interactions would be like if they were placed in a place like that. And I just don't, I don't think it's realistic to expect um, a Dawson to be stuck in this cabin talking to no one um, for seven years and having no outside interaction, even if she is um, aware that you know, she's in danger every time she talks to another person because it's such a hostile place and it's filled with violent people. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of where Hector came from because I just, I, I don't, I think it's inevitable that if you place humans in a place like that, that is the kind of interactions that um, would happen. But I um, kind of used Hector as a bit of a pawn. He's really um, just there as, um, a small bit of companionship for Dawson so that she doesn't go completely crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dawson is the same for him. She's a, she's a companion so that he doesn't go completely crazy either. And um, I think uh, we get to see um, a bit more about Dawson's mentality and um, why she interacted with Hector the way she did in book two. So I'm really excited for people to read um, book two as well because it gets to like flesh that out a little bit more. Um but yeah, like Dawson just keeps a very, very heavy barrier between her and anyone else because she's very aware that they're probably, like, you know, they might not be here the next day. So there's that element. And there's also the element of um, she can only trust herself. Um, she's, like you said, her family's been whittled away. They were the only people that she trusted and they're gone now. And she's not willing to raise that barrier that her, her mother and her grandmother put in place for her to not let any outsiders in. Um yeah, so, and she just keeps that in place for seven years. But, uh, yeah, it'd be unreasonable, right, for her to live in this place where there are other humans there, but she just doesn't interact with them at all unless it's to, you know, chop them with her axe or something. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's why Hector existed. <laughs> uh, how familiar are you with the axe? Because let me tell you something. I had to Google some terms. I needed a little, <laughs> a little diagram. I wanted to make sure I knew exactly what was going on here. Uh, is an axe something that you are using every day? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I quite literally just had to Google away and try and figure out like, you know, what the, the analogy, I guess, what the anatomy is the right way, the anatomy of an axe. And, um, you know, and how to describe what it is. And like the reason she had an axe was because I wanted her to have, 
I love the trope of of the um the hero or the the heroine having like a favored weapon. I really love that trope in fantasy. Um, and so I wanted Dawson to have a favored weapon, and I thought an axe would make sense because it's something that she quite literally has to use um, every day in the environment that she lives in to stay alive. So it made sense that she was very well versed at using one. And I thought if she's very well versed in using one, then let's see what she can do with it. So yeah, I, I just just had to do a little Google research to figure out how people use axes and how they chop down trees and all the parts of an axe and how it might be thrown and all that sort of jazz, which was really fun. Well, it was so nice because you see the constant use of it from the start of the book all the way to the end, obviously. Um, But her even in the community on the ledge, I really appreciate that nobody is making apologies for who they are in these conditions, which and but at the same time, there is a little bit of empathy to a small degree when somebody is stealing from somebody else or like they're, they're still as as survivalists as they are. There is a there is a sense of empathy because you're like, well, I can't be completely pissed at them because I would have done the same. Or when they have when they drop all the food and everybody's just like, well, what did you get this week? Is it furs? Is it food? It's, and it's such a trade commodity. And how, you know, how are how are they going to interact with each other? Because, like you said, the community keeps dwindling. Um, not sure how much reproduction's going on because it's really cold, you know? Yeah. So, and the Galicians are like, you know, it's every season, you know, it's, it's something, something's to come, but it's everything to what Laura's saying. You, you've had such attention to detail and it doesn't feel like it's overwhelming at all. You're just sucked in immediately and you don't want to put it down. Oh, thank you. That's such a compliment. Yeah. I, um, it, Dawson has a strange uh, way of viewing her her people as well throughout, and it kind of continues in the next books as well. But um, where she truly doesn't believe that they deserve to be there, and she believes that they deserve to be freed, and that they're human beings who um, haven't earned you know this terrible lot in life. Um, but while she's on the list, she doesn't have a very good view of them at all. She thinks that they're you know, and because they are, they're out to get each other and their things and everything they're just all about survival and um if it means that you have to take the food out of someone else's mouth then people are quite willing to do that but it's like you said she has empathy for that because she's not above doing those things either if she has to take food out of someone else's mouth to survive then she will most likely do that um yeah i just the more i talk about it the more i can't wait for people to read the book too because of how more fleshed out that is and it's a lot of fun to like go back and sort of construct those stories of her childhood up to where we see her at the start of Ledge. But, um, yeah, it's, it's quite, she has quite a complex view of her own people where she doesn't necessarily have connections, like deep connections with them as individuals, but as a whole, she just believes that it's not right, that they're, they're, they're stuck there. So we've talked about Dawson, we've talked about Ryan, we've talked about our world building, we've talked about our characters and uh, Tersal, our land. Talk to us about our villains here. Where where did the idea for these villains come from? So King Vestal is like sort of your um, your usual general stereotypical villain, right? And he seems like the overarching villain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's very cold and he's strange looking, and he's villainous in the way that he speaks, and his intentions are very plain um, right from the outset, right? So he's sort of um, 
not very difficult to construct because he's sort of one-dimensional in that regard. Uh, we kind of later on um, that will be fleshed out a little bit more, like I said in book two, another reason I'm so excited to be read it, but um, <laughs> he thinks one-dimensional in terms of his villainy, right? There's not really redeeming quality in that man. He's um, he's a pure Glathian. He's very um, classist and he's all about status and, um, and blood quantum and um, he's very, very invested in and pure-blooded Glacians only. And so in that way, he's a racist, right? And um, in many ways, he's a misogynist as well. So he's very one-dimensional as a villain. He's really just a bad dude. Um, but like, as you guys know, and I'm not sure if we're spoiling it in this podcast or not, but... It's all it's your episode, so you say what you, what you want. Whatever you want, yeah. Okay, well, spoilers abound, just so everyone knows. As we... <laughs> As we know, like, he's not the only villain in this story and we have Queen Elvira um, and Queen Cressida in, in Tersor and and they seem initially as though they're um, perhaps misunderstood um, and then at the end they're just flat-out villains as well. So, um, yeah, they're sort of two different dimensions of villains. One that's just very, here is a cardboard cut out of the villain and another that's um, a little bit... Well, not even a little bit. Very complex because she seems to have good intentions with terrible, terrible, catastrophic actions, right? Like she, she truly, like she truly believes that she's righteous in the things that she's done in the past. And um, it's if anyone's ever met someone like that in real life that tr- has done perhaps a bad thing but truly believes that they have done it for the greater good, um, it's very hard to change that person's mind. In fact, it's unlikely you ever will. Um, because they're so convinced and they're so like deep, they have such deep seated um, convictions with themselves that um, it's almost impossible to show that person their wrongs. Um, so she's a, a different kind of villain altogether. And she's, um, she was really fun to write. Um, but I had to, I, when I started writing her, when I introduced Queen Alvira, I think the first write through, I, uh, made it very obvious that Dawson hated her, you know, like the, her, Dawson's very first interaction with the queen who was supposed to be good. And um, I think my own hatred kind of leaped through into the writing and it was very o- obvious that Dawson thought that um, she was this horrible person. Uh, so in the rewrite, I had to sort of go back through and make Dawson more dubious um, and wary, which she already is towards any everyone anyway. So that came across a little bit more natural. But, um, yeah, I had to take out, like, lots of Dawson's sneers and <laughs> things like that and <laughs> the derisive way that she spoke back to the Queen. Um, still left a little bit in there because that's just who Dawson is. But, um, yeah, she was she's an, she's an interesting villain. She's much more interesting than King Bastille, our, you know, glacian beast. Well, and that, that just kind of goes... Uh to you know humans to specifically scooby-doo like humans were the monsters all along right we're yeah. always the, we're the bad ones um, i want to touch on um what you are talking about with the villains and the queens uh dawson has a really lovely kind of inner inner monologue when toward towards the end uh where she's looking at the queens and she's like you know I don't forgive you, but I kind of understand you made a decision. You saved like many few sacrifices. I get it, but I am going to fix it. 
Uh, I do really love that. And of course, this book ends on a cliffhanger. Miss Ma'am. Miss Ma'am. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate it, though. You know, it gets the blood pumping. It gets me excited. I really appreciate that. Um, I want to touch on the role that social media has played in this process for you. Uh, I know that you got some interest on TikTok for this and it kind of snowballed. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, um, it's so so bizarre. I still um have moments where I'm like am I really here is this really happening um yeah like I said I wasn't part of any book communities before all of this or before you know book talking and bookstagram and I was just sitting in the middle of the pandemic at home with um my two kids and uh getting kind of bored and they uh I I think I thought oh, I'll download TikTok since everyone's talking about it so I did that and there was just this woman just flipping books like a sorceress doing these weird transitions and I was like books I love books and so <laughs> followed that person um and then slowly followed like a bunch of and suddenly that was my whole FYP it was just my whole for you page was just uh books and um, the more I got into it, the more I interacted with people and things, the more I thought, I know tons about books, you know. I've been reading avidly for the longest time. Um, I could make content. And um, I don't know if you can tell, but, like, I'm not that camera shy. So I, I didn't really have any reservations <laughs> with that. So I thought, I, you know, I can make some content. Um, so I started doing that. And I really I didn't think much about it, to be honest. I made a video that I thought was funny and posted it. And I just thought, no one's going to see it. You know, no one's going to like. I don't. I have zero followers. Like, no one's going to see it. And then I, I wake up the next morning to lots of notifications and was like, shit, like lots of people saw it. Um, and I, but it was, it was really fun. And um, the people in the comments are always so funny, and the amount of like the banter and the camaraderie that we have on on Book Talk in particular at that time was really, really fun. And so I just slowly kept making content and that following kept growing. And I'm still not convinced that it's not my Australian accent that hasn't led me here. I think that's at least like 50% <laughs> of my success because, um, yeah, y'all in the US are just like easily impressed, I think, with an, <laughs> with an accent. I don't, I don't know <laughs> what it is, but, and I, I'd already been writing books and I, um, I had something like 11,000 followers on TikTok and it was early days, but I hadn't told my husband anything about it. So he didn't know what book talk was. He didn't know that I was posting content. And then I was like, it's, it's getting to the point now where someone from our real life might see me and then tell him. And he's going to be like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I said to him that I was making videos of myself and putting them on the internet. And I had 11,000 followers, which is not the best way to describe it. And um, <laughs> he's like, he, I know we're in the pandemic, wait, but wait. Like- <laughs> he, he immediately is like, only fans. Yeah. Yeah. Not cool. Um, so he was like, well, what kind of videos are you making? And I said about books and he was like 11,000 people <laughs> are listening to you talk about books. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, those books back there with like the pirates on the covers. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, those, those ones, those <laughs> terrible covers. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> anyway, so he came around and I showed him and he, and um, he was like, that's really cool. But like, what are you going to do with this following? And I said, like, nothing. I'll talk like, hope maybe I'll get some free books because people get free books if they, you know, if they get sent books by like authors and publishers. And so maybe I'll get some free books. And he was like, 
why don't you try and sell one of yours that you've written? I was like, oh, yeah, he's a real brains of the family. I swear <laughs> to God. I'm like, nah, I like that. Um, but I had sworn that the books that I'd read previously will never see the light of day, you know. So I was like, I'm not going to sell one of those books, but I might try and like write a fresh one. So, and I'd had this idea of Dawson and like this woman that's trapped in this snowy landscape for a while. And um, so I thought, well, maybe now's the time to start writing that. And it'd been a little while since I'd um, written anything. It'd been a few months since I'd really even thought about it. Um, And I made a silly TikTok where I was like, I'm going to write a book and it's going to be great. And it's going to have good tropes and not bad tropes. And it's going to have this and that. And I'm like, I had no idea what it was going to have. Um, (laughs) I just came on and was like, I'm going to do it. And all a bunch of people were um, in the comment section going like, I can't, I can't wait to read it. And, um, and it was like, let me be clear, it was not a viral video at all, you know, um, but there was still a good, you know, couple hundred people that were like, keep us updated, can't wait to read it. And as someone who had written all these books and they'd not been read by anyone, that's huge, you know, that's so gratifying. So I thought like, maybe like, this is, this is the way that I can push something like this out into the world. So I just, very seriously considered self-publishing. I did as much research as I could possibly do as a complete noob who knew nothing about it. And um, I had like the very great privilege of being able to get in contact with other indie um, authors and and asking them for a little bit of guidance. And um, they were all very generous in in providing that. And um, kept going with the content, kept writing, the following kept growing. And um, and yeah, and then and then I had Ledge ready and I think I, I had the cover. So I thought I'd do a cover reveal and then reveal the plot because prior to that, I hadn't told people what the book would be about. I just sort of said, I'm going to write an adult fantasy and it's going to, you know, be enemies to lovers and it's going to have a badass heroine. And that's sort of all I'd said. Um, so I did a bit of a plot reveal and a cover reveal and that TikTok um, took off much more than I ever could have hoped it, it would. Again, not seriously viral or anything, but it got a few hundred thousand views and that's like more than enough. That's like, that's huge. Um, Self-promotional videos generally tank. They generally don't do very well. Um, People can smell it when you're trying to sell something a mile away and they run for the hills and rightly so because I do as well. Um, That's just the way these things go. So I really didn't expect it to do anything, um, but it did really well. And there's just so many supportive people in the comments saying that they, they really liked the sound of the book and um, to let them know, you know, when the pre-orders were ready. And um, by a few days later, I had these crazy emails in my inbox from publishing houses and literary agents saying that they wanted to talk to me about it. And, um, and that, and now we're here, now we're here with a book that's, you know, going to be published internationally. And um, I've got a literary agent, like as though I'm some kind of important person. Um, so it's just been nuts. It's been scary and crazy and it's been uh, really, really full on uh, and it's incredibly busy. Um, I've still got my teaching job as well. So I'm sort of doing both and I've got two kids. Uh, yeah, so it's it's been wild. I think that's probably the best word I can use to summarise. It's been wild, but it's been so much fun, like an incredible amount of fun. Does it feel real yet? No, not even a little bit. I mean, I've got the book and it's sitting on my shelf. I look at it sometimes and go, that's that's a real book that you wrote, but it still doesn't feel real. And um, 
that's the beauty of social media is that everything has a sort of little a little haze of fakeness to it where I can separate it from real life and go, oh, that's just a picture of my book somewhere out there in the world, but I can't see people. I think it it might feel real to me the day that I see someone holding the book, you know, or or reading it in real life. If that ever happens, I'll I'll probably shit myself. Like I won't lie, I will absolutely lose it. I'll have no composure. In fact, I'll probably embarrass myself and go up and be like, that's my book. You're in my book. Like I'll be an absolute menace. Um, but no, it doesn't feel real. Uh, not sure it ever will. It's just like this whole big dream, this big fever dream. Very strange. Selfishly curious. Um, I know that obviously it's on, you know, on pre-order at all the major public, you know, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all these places. Are you going to be doing like any signed, copies like through the publisher because i'm like i'm holding out but i want to pre-order <laughs> but i already have the arc but like i love we love supporting everybody on the podcast so we're just like take i, I don't know how many copies of like the book of azrael i have right now because we're just like, <laughs> right. take, like, like take my so, money yeah so i just me selfishly wanting to support you i'm like are you gonna have signed copies like i say selfishly wanting to support you which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It just means that you're a lovely person who likes to support people. There's nothing selfish about it at all. Um, Yeah, so it's a bit awkward because I'm all the way in Australia, so obviously shipping like that many books all the way from the UK um, because we don't really have big printers here in Australia, so almost everything comes from overseas. Um, Yeah, trying to get those to me and then have me sign them and send them all back, like there's a huge cost factor involved in that. Um, which can't be compensated rightly by people buying them big, unless we're going to charge like $65 per book and we're not just not going to do that. So that's why book plates are great. And I don't know if you guys already have books that have book plates. So um, for anyone that doesn't know, though, it's like a lovely, pretty little sheet of paper that's been signed and then stuck um, inside the book. So we're going to do some book plates, I believe. I don't know when they'll be available, um, but hopefully soon. Um, very lucky that like we have our contacts at Penguin Random House in Sydney in Australia and I get to go um, down to Sydney at the end of September so that will be fun so I can go to the publishing house and I'll get to sign a bunch of books Ooh. and um, we're going to go to a couple of bookstores and sign a bunch of books um, so I yeah so we can sign books in Australia that's easy um, but books that are sent overseas that have to be book plates for now um, I'm really really like fingers crossed I'm hoping that at some point next year I'll be get and be able to come to America and visit some bookstores and do um, some book signings, but also hopefully I'll be able to visit the publishers and do sort of mass signings. So I definitely think that it's coming. It's just can't come too soon. Otherwise, it's going to cost an astronomical amount of money. Um, and, uh, yeah, the print industry right now and the paper running industry, is just it's, it's kind of all on fire at the moment. So we have to be really careful about the way that we go about things. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm hoping that, you know, I can be able to get overseas at some point. That would be great because that means that I can take care of that pronto. Very easy to sign books when I'm actually in that country. (laughs) When you're in Australia, you'll have to keep, like, keep a permanent marker on you. So when you do see your book in public, you could run up, make the whole situation a thing and be like, and I'll sign it for you while I'm here. Oh, I'm going to make it so uncomfortable, (laughs) so uncomfortable for them all. I might even put some, like, just keep some merch like in my handbag <laughs> and just uh, do it. Do it. And a bookmark and a, 
here's a candle that smells like Ryan. <laughs> kids are going to be like, Mom, what are you doing? <laughs> Mommy's promoting. Mommy's promoting. <laughs> Mommy's <laughs> paying for what we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, paying for your sport fees. Uh, you answered my question. My question was going to be, what is your perspective being in Australia, having to deal with like America and all of its bullshit? Um, but I mean... <laughs> You you pretty much said like it's hard and expensive. Mm. Uh, I I do feel like there is kind of an aspect that isn't really talked about just because uh, you are overseas. Uh, so like sign books, that's an issue. It's expensive. Yeah. Um, the paper, that's an issue. Are there any other kind of like weird, small kind of challenges that are unique to that situation? Um. Not too much. I mean, we have the beauty of technology and um, the time zones can be very frustrating. Um, but uh, for like, just for example, on, you know, we're launching Ledge and there's all kinds of cool publicity things that we want to do, but it does involve me being up like all through the right. night, like just in the middle of the night, right? Because mm-hmm. um, most of our audience is in the US or in the UK and not necessarily in Australia. So, but at the same time, I don't want to... Um, not be available to do cool like live things on Instagram or TikTok for times that are available for Australians as well. So um, it's just a it's just an odd balancing act in terms of um, the actual publishers side of it. There's not much difference whether I lived in Australia or, or America. It's just when it comes to things like book signings that becomes a bit tricky. You know, typically if I lived in America, if I lived in the UK, um, their printing houses would just ship me a whole bunch of books, or they would just um, get me to travel to a warehouse and I would sit there all day and sign them and then I'd go back home again. Um, I just can't do that in Australia. It's just not a thing. So we've just got to be creative about how we go about it, hence why the book plates come in. But um, luck, I'm just very lucky that I've got um, the contacts down at Penguin Random House in Sydney so that I get to like travel down there, which is much closer. It's only, you know, an hour flight. Um and I get to go and do some smaller scale book signings so that they can be available for Australian consumers. Um, yeah, the overseas stuff can be tricky, but there isn't hasn't been too many roadblocks, luckily. I have to assume that like book talk, FYP, or yours specifically might skew a little bit differently just regionally. Um, do you feel like the fans and the followers are very different because like obviously i'm i'm based out of new york that's where i work so sometimes when they have regional things going on a lot of new york related stuff content will come onto my fyp are you finding a mix of that with yours and how different are how different are the communities or like are americans just like super rabid and we have no class with anything (laughs) in terms of um people who are involved in book talk, like I, I usually can't tell whether they're from Australia or from America or from the UK or anything like that. We all just like books and we um, we tend to gravitate towards other people who like similar types of books. Um, so, yeah, I, I can I can never tell the difference. My FYP um, page is filled with, you know, every now and then it will be filled with Australian politics. Um, but our for you pages in Australia are mostly dominated by US media. So um I see more um US politics than I see Australian politics or Sorry. 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 Why are you guys <laughs> apologizing? Are you doing it? And that's just it's just the way that it runs, you know. Um 
like your population is a lot more dense and so they're feeding the algorithm is being fed what people are tapping into and there's more Americans than than there is Australians that's just the way that it goes um so I don't think I think if I was to pass over my phone to you and be like look look through my FYP I don't think it would look all too different um, that's when, but that's always fun too, because then when you go in the comments and you start seeing the people you know, you're like, oh, I know this person. You know, you get everybody gets so excited because that's part of the fun part. It's the best. Yeah. I'd never understand um, people going onto TikTok or any other social media for that instance, but I don't understand people who go into TikTok to see like the gritty, grim side of the world. I am on TikTok to watch people create art with spaghetti and do strange dances. Like that's why I'm there. Um, or make fun of books. Like I, I'm really just there for the nonsense. Um, I'm not, yeah, super into watching TikToks for like hard-hitting journalism. Um, I don't really think that's where we're going to find it. Uh, but it's inescapable. It doesn't matter if that's what you like to watch Um yeah, social media will keep feeding you all the dark room sides of the world as well, whether we want to see it or not. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's just the way that social media runs, right? It's true. You, though, are feeding us, all of your fans, with your social media content. So you have described this whole episode just how busy you are. You are just spread. I'm not going to say thin, but you are spread like around you have jobs you have children you have a husband you have things um and you are still making social media content uh do you enjoy that or is has that become kind of difficult for you and the last little part to this is it easy for you to self-promote no yeah no it's it's hard (laughs) it's so like no self-promotion does not come easily for me like I I think if I got my my agent and my publicist in on this call I think they tell you that what they'd like to see me do is a lot more of it but I'm the one that kind of pumps the brakes on it because like I like to try and balance um the amount of sort of entertainment that I'm providing people but also um, the self-promotion stuff kind of just needs to be weaved in there every so often so that I don't burn people out with me just hollering and squawking about ledge all the time. Um, and uh, I there's also like this like kind of yucky part of myself that I really need to work on that sees that as bragging. And it's not, um, but, yeah, it's just a, a weird part of me that's just like, you know, you have to be quiet about your own success. That's not true. You don't have to be quiet about your own success. Um, but I think we've probably been wired that way for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, I don't find self-promotion easy. I find it really, um, really hard. I find the making stupid TikToks really easy. That's just fun for me. Um, I've got to find time to do it. And sometimes that can be a little bit tricky, finding the time to do it. And definitely this year I've dropped off a little bit. Uh, last year I was posting sort of every second, third day um, at minimum. This year I'm sort of posting to TikTok like once a week and then transferring that content over to Instagram and sort of doubling up um, just so that I don't burn myself out too much. But that stuff is mostly fun for me. It doesn't um, it doesn't burn me out the way that other things might. It's just that there's a lot. There's a lot of different elements at play at the moment and so I've just got to make sure that I balance it um, I like to think that I'm pretty good at working myself to capacity, but not, you know, burning myself out. So hopefully I can keep going there. And where we are now in the world as a whole and where we were 
in the pandemic two and a half years ago is also very different and where we were creating content and having the conversations too, because it could have been a point where you could you could have had time to create the content every and post one every, you know, every one to two, three days, because what else were we doing but all stuck at home? So yeah. you had the time and we were looking we're like, well, how can how can we fill this void now? Because it's extended another two weeks and another two weeks, exactly. and, you know, two and a half years later. So you have mentioned a few times that you are um, thinking about in the headspace of writing book two. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I've just finished it. So we're just sort of starting the editing process now, which is a really good feeling. It's kind of like my favorite, my favorite part. Is it, is it hard for you to stay in the mindset of like, okay, the first one's coming out. I have to, I have to really talk up the first one, even though like your heart and your, your mind is in book two. Oh, so hard. It's like, with you guys know, I've already mentioned it like three or four times. And I told myself beforehand that I wouldn't mention it at all. Um, <laughs> it's, it's incredibly difficult um, because I, I've, I've talked about Ledge a lot um, with my editor and, and with different people to try and get it as good as we could get it um, in the space of time that we have. And I now feel like my my entire being is being placed in, in book two. Um, so yeah, it is difficult, but um, that's okay. Like we swing back and forth, and they weirdly in my head they kind of don't feel like like the entire trilogy doesn't feel like three separate books. It just feels like you know more like a part one, part two, part three of the same story. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a it is a weird feeling going back and forth and um, putting your brain in book one and then popping it back in book two when needed. But um, yeah, I, I mean. How, what, how can I complain? Like, how can I possibly complain about any of this? I'm just like, I'm honestly nothing but grateful. So, just happy to be here. Happy. Yeah, happy. just happy to be here. Exactly. Can't believe <laughs> yeah. I'm talking to people about stuff that I wrote. It's still insane to me. So, yeah, I'm, there's no, com- you're not going to hear any complaints from me. No. And we're so happy <laughs> that you're here and you like took a chance on yourself too, because like that is, such a vulnerable thing because you had even said like you've written other books and you're like I don't think I'm ever going to publish those but you're but it's it's another child for you more or less because you've invested all this time in the process and then once it's out there it's you can't like take it back or hold on to it anymore even with the second book like at least now you're like but I'm still editing like I still have and and, (laughs) and you're you're sharing this part of you with us so thank you for that Oh, thanks for having me. Honestly, it's a dream come true. And what you're right, it's um, it's it's a weird feeling, feeling that like you've taken this thing that was just yours, um, only yours to critique, and you were the only person that got to say whether the parts of it were good or bad. And then you you put it out there into the world, and then everyone else gets to say what parts were good or bad. Um, but you know, I'm I'm very quickly learning that it's not about putting something out there in the world and, and hoping that every single person who reads it loves it. That's in, an impossible thing to wish for. Um, it's more about just having the privilege of someone reading it. Um, there are down, hundreds of thousands of authors likely every day that are just hoping that one person picks up their book today and reads it, you know, and, and then they probably won't because this industry is so jam-packed full of um, unread work, you know, um, 
it's taking people hundreds and hundreds of rejections to get an acceptance letter, for example, when they go to trade publishing. So when you look at it from that perspective, it doesn't matter um, what public opinion says, so long as there's people reading it, that's the goal. Uh, so, yeah, just incredibly lucky that there's going to be some people that's picking up this particular book and reading it. And like you said, I had other books before that will still never see the light of day. Uh, but at, at the time of writing them, I sat there just hoping and wishing that by when I finish this, someone wants to read it, you know, and then either not having the guts or believing that it's not good enough or trying to get people to read it by querying agents or publishing houses and getting rejection letters. Um, so, yeah, this is miles away from that. Um, and I'm just, yeah, and it's it, in many ways it feels like a fluke. Um, and I don't like saying that because I don't want to be so self-degradating and, and claim that, you know, it's, it's got nothing to do with hard work because I, I know how much hard work I've put into it. But um, in many ways it does feel like, you know, the winners and losers in, in this industry are either winners by fluke or, or losers by fluke, um, no matter how much hard work they put into it. So I'm, I'm on the lucky side of that. That is beautifully said. I know. Beautifully I know, said. Like, I, it, so <laughs> per- it's perfect. It's perfect because like you said, it's just, just – it's it's kind of naive to think, oh, I put it all in. I, I didn't work and I got lucky. It's everybody is hardworking. It just doesn't pan out that way for everybody. Yeah, it's remembering that everyone has worked very hard. Yes, and you are deserving of all of yeah. the praise and the success. Of course, of course, of course. Um, Thanks, Jess, Laura. those are those are all my questions. Jess, do you have any? I feel like I, I was like writing questions as we were co- talking. And then as I would, Laura, I have a whole list. And I was like, oh, you got to it before I did. Never <laughs> mind. We're good. Like, we're pretty much on the same, same page. Like, we're like, we're good. <laughs> I also just ramble. So I probably just got like started covering topics. No, no, no. You're, no you're I loved it. That's, this is yours. This yes. is your episode. This is your show. And, you know, you're welcome back on here whenever you mm-hmm. want. If you want to talk about book two or like, you know, whatever. This is this is a platform for you. This is a platform for everybody. So uh, so we're done. Let's wrap up. Pitch all of that stuff. Ledge is coming out on September 13th this year. It's going to be available at all online retailers and in store as well. Um, if you pre-order between now and then, then you're going to be invited to a special launch Zoom party with me and 500 other readers so that we can all chat all things Ledge uh, a couple of weeks after the release, which is going to be very, very fun. And we've also got a virtual online tour that kicks off on the 6th of September. Um, I'm going to be taking over my publisher's Instagram page for the day. Um, So, yeah, their Instagram page gets to be mine to do with what I want. So you can join me over there as well. And um, and I'll be popping up all over the place for the rest of that week as well, leading up to the launch date on 13th of September. And I can't wait for you all to read Ledge. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it, especially since you're on a weekend away. We weren't aware of that. Thank you for taking the time. No, it's not at all. I chose, I knew that I had this planned and then I had the holiday planned afterwards. And I'm like, the girls will not mind if I'm sitting in a hotel room. I'm positive. Yes. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Talk soon. All right. Hopefully we'll get to do this again soon. Yes. Yes. Go enjoy your day. Okay. Thanks, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 
Thank you so much, Stacey, for joining us. Make sure you're following her on her socials, both TikTok and Instagram, our Stace Bookspace. We'll have that information on our show notes. And as always, thank you for joining us. Make sure you're following us on Instagram, Akafe Podcast, and on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. Thanks so much and talk to you all soon. Bye.